dear husband, I write you a loving farewell and my children. Give my kind love to mother, sister and all inquiring friends. Be good to the bairns. I hope you will forgive me as God will forgive me. Cursed White has done all this. She swore I had taken Siller, which was false, but they wrong everybody. I have nothing to live for. I have no friends in this world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Blatherings. Today, with some sadness, I'm afraid to say, we reach the fifth and final part of our multi-part podcast, Murder in Style. Indeed we do. And Mary, I don't know how I feel about this. I, I have this terrible feeling of feeling sorry for Eliza. Mm -hmm. The listeners will know you in particular have, have trawled through thousands of documents. Mm, yes. Medical evidence, court documents, precognition statements, certification of all sorts. And as we've moved this story along, Every time we seem to have got a grip of it, something else has come up. Yes, it slips through your fingers every time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, and, and, and that has been what's been fascinating about it. In the last episode, part four, we, we laid out what we feel may have been an alternative scenario in terms of how things played out. Mm -hmm. But there are still one or two things that have yet to be revealed. So maybe we can start with that and then move on to talk about the aftermath and, 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 and what happened in the lives of all of the main players in this yes, really sad drama. I think that's a good idea. And I'd like to start by revisiting this idea that Samuel, Eliza's husband, was a co-accused mm -hmm. for less than 24 hours in this case. And we had testimony by Sergeant Milne, who somehow becomes a PC when the case comes to trial. And PC Barr. Yes. Milne having claimed that Eliza told him that she had changed her mind about mm -hmm. killing the kids. Mm -hmm. And yet PC Barr cannot corroborate that because he said, well, I wasn't there. Yes, and it was strange that why would he say that? If he wasn't yeah. there, it was, okay, you weren't there, but why say it? <coughs> why distance yourself from that piece of evidence? which was then never used in the trial. And that's, that's a curious point. That's a very curious point. Mm. Um, I'm going to sidetrack for a moment. Um, last night, Miri and I watched uh, an episode of a popular TV drama, Silent Witness. Oh, yes. Testator Silence, mm -hmm. focusing on the work of a forensic team. Mm -hmm. And I think I was annoying Mary while watching this because as the plot unfolds, the essence really was about a dodgy timeline. <laughs> the fact that family members were, were giving contradictory testimony. Mm -hmm. It appeared to take the spotlight away from someone they felt would be accused or to point the finger at someone else. And what intrigued me and made me say to Miriam often, this is so like the Eliza case, mm -hmm. was the fact that it was an extended family, three of whom were serving police officers, one at a high level, in the constabulary that were investigating the crime. Uh, mm -hmm. 
So one had this feeling of conspiracy. There might be something. And stories being made straight and broken mm, together. Stories being concocted. And, and yeah. it so much reminded me of police testimony, the direction at which fingers were being pointed. And it just reminded me so much of the case of Eliza and, and, and the kids. I don't know how you react to that. It, this was in modern times. It's a TV drama, of course, but this is uh, in modern times when all the forensic technology and techniques are available, which were not around in 1871. It's, it still comes down to who says what happened. And it still came down to who said what. Yeah. One of the kids in the drama, there were two children in the house at the time the murder took place. One had the woman's voice in argument, the other had a man's voice. And, and there you have it. There's witnesses for you. Yeah. Not not particularly being deliberately, you know, evasive, but mm -hmm. just remembering things differently. Yeah. yeah. And and that's that's what's so fascinating about Eliza's case. We were going to look at the aftermath, or we're going to look at the aftermath in this podcast. So I started scurrying away and looking at some uh, later records. And this was when I came across the um, 1871 census. Now, the 1871 census, which was taken in the same year, mm. obviously, as a murder, yep. lists Peter Milne, PC. Yeah. So I thought, oh, that can't be right. So I scuttled back to all the other documents, and here was, you know, precognition statements saying police constable. And I thought, oh, flip, I've got it wrong. He wasn't a sergeant. And then I looked back and I went, but no, yes, he was. He was a sergeant. He was a yeah. sergeant when the crime takes place. Now, the crime takes place on the 6th <coughs> of March, yep. and he is a police sergeant. The census was taken on the 2nd of April, barely four weeks later, and he is a police constable. Now, again, we, we said previously that sometimes census takers were in a hurry and they might have made a mistake, but you don't make a mistake when it's a police sergeant. So what causes you to go from being a police sergeant to being a police constable in the space of four weeks. And at the trial, he in the trial records, he's listed as a PC, a constable. And is never called to give evidence. Now, why would you not call him to give evidence? Why does he go from being a sergeant to being a constable? And why can I not find that police record? Uh -huh. Because this is the man who walked into that house the first night. Samuel and Eliza are co-accused, mm -hmm. but he already says to somebody... Keep an eye on Eliza. Doesn't say keep an eye on Samuel. Goes off to get PC Barr. This is the man who says, Eliza said she changed her mind, but PC Barr distances himself. <laughs> this is the that. man whom I can't make sense of how long it took him to go somewhere, why this doctor was found, what's happening with the razor, all of these things. Yeah. And so initially I just thought that maybe Sergeant Peter Milne was a bit incompetent. So I thought, well, maybe he's a 20-year-old and he's been, you know, he's been promoted, he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he's a doddery old 65-year-old. Mm -hmm. He's 37. Yes. yes, yeah. And yet, within four weeks of this trial, he has been demoted. Why? Why is Samuel going from co-accused to nothing? Why is the razor not properly identified? Why is the timeline all over the place? Why do we not know what the whites are talking to Samuel about why has none of this been taken down from Sergeant Milne and I'm now going to put my cards on the table. I think he got demoted because he was up to something. I don't think they could prove what was going on because otherwise uh -huh. he would have been out of the police force. But I don't think <clears throat> this is incompetence. But the demotion would have 
been at the behest of the the senior in 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 Edinburgh, Alfred John List, Superintendent Alfred John List. Now, if he was demoted because he was incompetent, let's say he, let's say he just muddled his way through the the case. That's fair enough. You're incompetent. You, you, You can't really be a sergeant anymore. Would that genuinely have happened so quickly? And why and so quickly weeks. before the trial? Yeah. And why, even if he was incompetent, surely that bit of evidence of Eliza changed her mind would still be used. Because if she has said that, I mean, if he's incompetent and he doesn't write down how long it takes him to get to Harry or how they got the no. doctor or what everybody said, but that's still a key bit of evidence. You can still bring that up in the trial. But if he's more than incompetent, if he's dodgy, if he's Sammy's best pal, and that's why Sammy goes from mm. being co-accused to not being... A, because why Why the change? Why when you go back the next morning and young Daniel has died, so you have to go and make a report, the report goes to Sheriff, Sheriff goes to the fiscal, both the parents were still in the house. You haven't done any more investigation because it's happened overnight. Mm-hmm. It's not as if you've had a day of having Eliza in the police station asking her what's going on. Indeed. Or yeah. a day of Samuel in the police station asking him. If Eliza goes, is still <laughs> accused, why is Samuel not? Yeah. So I think, and I know I've got absolutely no evidence. There's no but evidence. Guess but. what? There was hardly any evidence in this trial, so I'm just, I'm just going to make it up like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Peter Mill and Sammy were friendly yeah. or friendly enough he goes from co-accused to not accused. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, obviously there could be another reason for it, but I think that's as plausible a reason as any. Yes, because another another alternative view of this, and we, we covered incompetence before, mm-hmm. and we spent some time on that, mm-hmm. but a person being corrupt lies at the other end of the spectrum. You say mm-hmm. dodgy, yeah. and maybe just dodgy. Yeah. Um, it's possible to be both, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, I mean, he can be incompetent and dodgy. Yeah. That's a heck of a combination. But, yeah, he could be. And it could just be that him and Sammy are pals. Or it could be that maybe the Whites have got a little bit to hide, mm-hmm. as we talked about in the last episode with yeah. their connections with Sammy, that they've lent on PC Milne or yeah. Sergeant Milne as yeah. he was. Yeah. And then Superintendent John List, presumably when everything, you know, when everything goes up to the fiscal's office, Presumably the police report would then go up to the, the superintendent up in Edinburgh. And if that's incompetence, then the superintendent, John List, who remember is dealing with political shenanigans up there. He's yeah. a busy yeah. man. You know, it's already in the judicial system. Everybody knows Eliza done it. So there isn't a problem with that side of things. Are you really going to demote your sergeant in space of four weeks over something? Have you got the time to demote your sergeant for just general incompetence? Yeah. But if there's a hint of something more, if there's a hint of being a bit dodgy or being a bit corrupt, maybe that has to be a quick level of, of uh, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. this guy, getting his, basically taking his stripes from him. Yeah. If, if you start this by, by just moving the goalposts a little bit, because everything here falls under this rush to, Eliza done it, mm-hmm. therefore she's mad or mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to neglect investigating any other possibility. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the possibilities which I think we have explored, mm-hmm. perhaps too late. Um, th- this this feeds into what has long been my contention that there was a, a deal of cover up going on yeah. here. Yeah. A, a deal of protection. Um, one thing we haven't done, 
uh, I'm remembering part five of this. I know. It's actually discuss the verdict. At oh yes, the trial. yes. Now at the end of the last episode, I was I was a bit disingenuous by saying that Eliza was found guilty, and I was I was a bit cheeky to use that word, but I used it deliberately. Okay. Eliza was guilty of killing her children. Everybody had agreed on that. Yep. But the verdict they actually come back with was that she was not criminally guilty because she had been insane at the time the crime was committed. This is what today would be temporary insanity. Temporary insanity. And it's a very interesting verdict for two reasons. Well, it's interesting that the jury didn't believe the prosecution and their horde of doctors that said she was of sound mind. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because the jury came back within minutes, didn't take oh, really? time to think about days this. Days of deliberation. No, 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 within minutes, and it was unanimous. Mm-hmm. Fifteen men and true on that jury took one look at Eliza and said she's mad, not bad. And that's very curious because the defence did have a couple of doctors. Mm-hmm. The prosecution had, I think it was five, if not six. Whatever the collective noun for doctors is, yeah. (laughs) Um, Absolutely, definitely saying, no, 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 she was of sound mind. Mm -hmm. So it's very curious that these 15 good men in true of Edinburgh said, no, we don't believe you. Now, I don't know if they didn't want to find her criminally guilty because they didn't want to see a woman hanged. Maybe that that was it for some of them. Maybe some of them just resented all these doctors telling them things. Maybe they just looked at her face and thought, the poor soul, she's been through enough. Uh-huh. I don't know. But for all of them to say, literally within about five minutes, apparently five or ten minutes, just went, no, no, she was insane at the time. I, I ploughed through the other day the, the, the judges summing up. Mm-hmm. Um, what you could maybe help me with is this, because I'm not sure. Was there another direction in which the judge could have pointed the jury in his summing up? Not really, no. I mean, I thought he was fair if leaning towards criminally guilty. It seemed that way. But because Eliza's defence <clears throat> was, she done it, yep. but she was insane. Uh-huh. There was nowhere else. You know, it's Exactly not, that. In, yeah. in a trial yeah. today, under Scots law, you can go for guilty, you can go for innocent, you can go for not proven, not proven yeah. which is that the Crown has not proved its case against you. Yeah. But because we, everybody knew Eliza had done it, mm. that wasn't an option. It was just mad or bad. And I thought the judge was leaning towards bad. But the jury, I, I don't know if it's a sympathy vote from the jury, but for all of them, and to do yeah. it so quickly, yeah. didn't take any time to, to, to think this through. Yeah, I, I'm reluctant to use miscarriage of justice, but what is interesting is the what you're using at the moment because you say she was found not guilty and at the end of the last episode you said she was found guilty well this is it as I say that's why I was saying I was a bit ingenuous she was guilty of killing her children Uh but she was not criminally guilty because she was insane at the time but to me she was subsequently treated as someone who was guilty. Well, this is the problem. We, we, the, the verdict is the verdict. It's the yeah. sentence that is problematic. Uh-huh. Because, right, she's not criminally guilty, mm-hmm. so she doesn't go to prison. Because prison is where you go if you're Can't a criminal. Yeah. Okay? So, if she was insane at the time the crime was committed, she needs to go to the asylum. But she's not mad. Yeah, but there's nowhere else to go. 
Ah. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's a binary system. Yeah. If she was innocent, she would be released, but she's not. She did it. Mm-hmm. She just happened to not be a criminal. She was insane at the time, so she has to go to the asylum, even though she's not insane. And that's a huge issue <laughs> because Eliza has spent three months in Edinburgh prison and now she goes to the Edinburgh asylum, mm-hmm. even though she is perfectly sane. Obviously, she's depressed and stressed and, and upset and anxious, but she's not insane. And she's sent to a Victorian asylum. And I would not wish that on my worst enemy. These are not nice places. These are really not nice places. Even the nicest of wardens and doctors and nurses in asylums treated their patients with oh, cruelty. There's no other word for it. Because they actually believed that they were treating their patients. So if you are insane, mm. um, that is shameful. Remember our <coughs> uh, podcast on shame? Yeah. yeah. It's shameful because God has given you this body. Yeah. God has yeah. given you your, this mind. And you've had the temerity to become insane. Yeah. And so what they, it was actually almost medieval where they thought if they could drive the insanity out of you. Out of you. So you would be given things like ice baths every morning Mm -hmm. or you would be hosed down with freezing cold water or they would beat the insanity out of you. You would be kept in shackles. You would, uh, you know, have all sorts of... And that's that's the nice nurses and doctors (coughs) doing this because they genuinely think this is going to help you. Mm -hmm. You might be given all sorts of drugs or all sorts of lotions and potions that are supposed to help the balance of your mind, and none of which did. But this wonderful treatment, therapy mm-hmm. that you're describing, mm-hmm. this smacks to me of containment, no more, no less. Oh yes, well that was considered to be treatment. The problem was that because it was shameful to be mad, it was also shameful to work in an asylum. So the people who actually worked in asylums were usually drunks or, you know, fly people. They weren't nice. And of course, because the system was the system, mm-hmm. It was a sort of place where sadists would go because you get to beat people up and you get paid a wage for doing it. It's great fun. And nobody cares. Who's going to listen to the loony in the corner, as it were, if you decide to beat the loony in the corner with a belt because you fancy doing that? Nobody's going to listen to the loony in the corner. And so lunatics were treated that way. So sadists would gravitate into working in asylums because they could get away with murder. Literally, if a loony in the lunatic asylum died, it didn't matter. They would be buried there. So Eliza, who is not insane, Mm. she's obviously grieving for her children and she's gone through the stress of a trial and all the rest of it. If Eliza says things like, I'm not insane, they're just going to laugh at her. At at the best, she's going to be laughed at and humiliated. But of course, remember, she killed her children. Mm. So even the most benevolent of guards are not going to be nice to her because of what she did. So she has been given the most horrific sentence she could have had, other than being hanged. So she might cre- well even yeah. have wanted to have been hanged yeah. rather than this. Rather than this, because we are adding now to her sense of isolation, her ill health, her her feeling of rejection, this lack of support that surrounds yeah. her. She's still incontinent <clears throat> and she's still deaf. And she's being treated. Yeah. <laughs> by people who yeah. do not have her best interests at heart no. and, at all. And the other problem she has is that she's in there for an indeterminate time. Yeah. Because what tended to happen was if you were sent to the asylum, 
you were obviously insane mm. and you would be kept there until you became sane. But she already is on day one. Mm -hmm. So if you go into the asylum yeah. and you're insane yeah. and you become sane over 10 years, then after your 10 years, once you're sane, you can be released. Yeah. But if she is already insane on day one, when is her end date? Yeah. Well, when do they let her out? And th there is nothing in the law to, to accommodate that. Yeah. There is nothing that you can do with it because the <laughs> law is binary. And she's now stuck. She's gone from the nightmare of trying to kill herself and either having killed her children or seen her children killed in front of her eyes yep. to the nightmare of being in a lunatic asylum, potentially for the rest of her life, mm -hmm. being possibly beaten on a daily basis, but certainly being humiliated and, and treated like dirt, whilst also being still incontinent and still deaf, and she's still not Church of Scotland, and, and, and. And, and, yeah. and. This, this all just feeds into my, my sense of feeling so sorry for Eliza and the way, the way that she has been treated. There, there is a, it's not an exact parallel, of course, but one hears recently stories of, you're talking about asylum workers, uh, the, the police forces, and the fact that a, a lax vetting of candidates to join mm. the police yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. is on some occasion, and it must be said, we have the, you know, the barrel, the bad apple and all that, but this lack of oversight leading to those who, who have their own interests at heart being able to join the police force. Yes. Uh, and actually the fact that Eliza was sane actually made her more vulnerable in absolutely. a way. Absolutely. Because yeah. if, if, you're, yeah. if you're the doctor in the Victorian asylum, you go in to look at the insane patients and how is, you know, how is Doug in cell number two and how is Mary in cell number three? You're not interested in Eliza in cell number five because she's sane. You can't cure her, you can't treat her, so you're going to ignore her. So at best she might have, I don't know, been working as a skivvy in, in the kitchens or something, but still getting beaten up. Yeah. But because she's ignored by the staff, because she's not interesting. She's already sane and, and we're just, we're just basically holding her until, I don't know, Father Christmas comes in and says, right, yeah. throw her out yeah. or she dies or something. It's containment. It, the, and that's it's not all treatment. it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not looking at the psychiatric uh, hospitals there are today where there are beautiful grounds and people are cared for and, yeah. you know, they, they, they are given their own clothing and they are treated with respect. None of that exists. You know, we're, we're not quite in the case of Bedlam where you went and you paid your mm. sixpence mm. to go and laugh at the loonies, but we're not far off it. We're not far away from that. We're right. really not far You're away right. from it. And the fact that it's a big old Victorian building, you know, with long corridors and, and you know, the, the institutions that we've all seen in the pictures, it's an awful, awful situation. Yeah. Yeah. She's in there grieving for her children with no support. Right. Absolutely no support, even if she did murder them. There's no counselling service. There's nobody in there helping to her deal with the emotions that she's got. She's just left to fester. Yeah. Do we do we know why she was eventually released? We don't know. I mean, she was eventually released, but we don't know. It was. It might well have just been a case of they needed the space, they needed the bed, and she was released. And and can we talk about at this point how long she actually spent in the asylum? Twenty six years. Oh my good God. She spent as long in the asylum as she had been out. Oh, my word. 26 years in the asylum. On the back of a not guilty. Yeah. Verdict. Mm-hmm. They need to change the dictionary definition. 
<laughs> and all, um, yeah, 26 years in an asylum. So that picture you showed me of Eliza recently, mm-hmm. was that just before her release? That was just before her release. That brought tears to my eyes. Yes. That is a very broken human being. Oh, absolutely. Can we put that on the website for we people will to indeed, look at? Yes. I mean, I, I am genuinely surprised that Eliza lasted 26 years <laughs> in an asylum. We don't know. There might have been other suicide attempts, but we don't know. Mm. Um, they didn't like you to kill yourself in the asylum, no. mainly because it didn't look good for them. doesn't look good. Um, you can die of natural causes, or you yeah. can die during your treatment. That's mm-hmm. different. Yeah. But they don't like it if you kill yourself, because yeah. they have to, you know, I don't know, fill out a form and triplicate and explain yeah. why this individual was able to get a hold of, you know, a rope or a razor or whatever it was. Yeah, in, um, that, in that picture I referenced earlier, she's holding, if I remember right, she's holding a piece of slate. A piece of slate with a number on, like an animal. Yes, and it's and it's sort of round her neck on a bit of string. It's really quite degrading. It's really quite degrading. And the thing is that they probably, the asylum was probably uh, writing Eliza down as a a success, as a triumph. Look, we were able to to sort this woman out. And you're thinking, but you didn't need to sort her out. She wasn't insane when she came to you. She has been through the horrors of a Victorian asylum and survived. My God, Eliza's a survivor, if ever there was one. That's the tragedy of it. She has had no life whatsoever, and yet she survived the death of her children. She survived at least one suicide attempt. She survived being put on trial for the murder of her children. She survived Sammy. I mean, he certainly didn't visit. Nobody came near her. Absolutely nobody came near her. Ah, she was a bad one. Exactly. So I think there's... It's almost one of these stories where I actually sort of regret having told it because there's nothing positive. There's no uplifting end to this story. You know, it's not as if we can say, and then this happened and then that happened. But perhaps now is as good a time as any to, to bring our friend Karen in and see what yeah. she has to yeah. say before we talk some more about the aftermath and what happened to some of the other characters. Yeah, I, I think we, when, we, when we look at the aftermath, we have to look for some glimmer of light or hope in, in terms of this case. Karen, hi, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hello, thank you for asking me. We're, we're joined um, by Karen Nelson, who is a senior member of the Lauder Amateur Dramatic Society. Uh, many listeners will remember that the, the Amateur Dramatic Society worked with us on a recent podcast we did on the local witch, Hob Grieve. Oh, that was, that was great fun, that one. Yeah. It was very good fun. And, and Karen, we'd love to thank you for being the voice of Eliza's alleged suicide note. Yes, it was a, a rather sad and harrowing thing to have to read. And brought made all the more real because she's lived not far away from where I live in, in Kilochiet. Yes. That really brought it home to me as well. Just out of interest, what was your first reaction? Because when we first came across the, the, the alleged suicide note, it raised our eyebrows. And your reading of it really brings that to life. Take good care of the bairns. Well, certainly that line, as you've pointed out before, made me wonder, if you, if, if you say you want to take care of the bairns, why then would you then go on to kill yeah. these bairns? Um, there were two or three bits of it, actually. There was the bits about the what she'd, she'd, she said she had stolen, 
or she was being accused of stealing the yeah, cellar. Yeah. And then that doesn't seem to come into any. No, part every, everybody of, else goes on about the bit of soap, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Yes, and I mean, no and, and a bit of soap doesn't really seem that you know important, but you know. Yeah. And then I can't. I find it very hard to understand why she would go on to kill herself and her children over over the soap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even even if she was being accused of stealing sil- sil- the silver, seems very very odd. Well, think, thinking okay. thinking about the soap uh, as we moved the, this story along, it the idea of soap seems to me rather convenient given. Eliza's health challenges. Mm. It 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 seems like a, some kind of premeditated thing to hang this on. Mm-hmm. Of course, she would still soap. Yeah. She smells. Yeah. She smells in public. I also think the soaps part of the white saying we yeah. run a clean shop. This yeah. is about cleanliness yeah. because yeah. they're trying to distance so anything that's happening mm-hmm. from. I don't know if she did or she didn't steal soap. Obviously, we'll never know. But yeah. Because you're right, in in the note it goes on about, you know, they accused me of stealing silver, which was untrue, and mm-hmm. yet it's the soap and the packet of tea and the this and the that, but soap is, is cleanliness, soap is, yeah. I keep a clean shop, yeah. my reputation is spotless, it's that bad Eliza down there. Yeah. There's something quite yeah. a wee bit nasty about it, isn't there? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. About accusing her of, you know, yeah. knowing her circumstances. Knowing her circumstances, mm-hmm. yeah. I think so, I think you're right, there's, mm-hmm. there's a nastiness there. Uh, which goes back to my theory about Kirsty making a smart remark. I think there's a bit yeah, of, yeah. you know, it's almost like they're goading her. Some, something, something worse has to have happened. <coughs> and, yeah, and it sounds like yeah. something's been said to her by Kirsty. I think you've brought that mm. up. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't, you don't kill your children over a piece of soap. No matter, no matter how shamed you are. She's stolen before. We know she's stolen before. Um, Apparently. Apparently, yeah, well, <laughs> what do we know in this case? Every yeah. time I think, every, I should stop saying we know this because we don't know we anything. Don't. We, we don't, don't know anything. Well, we, well yeah. we don't, but we know the facts of like the whites, um, the circumstances of the evening that Samuel was met straight away and the whites wanted to meet him outside mm-hmm. of his yeah. workplace yeah. before he got home to her. I mean, why the desperation to make sure you, you meet up, you know, before he, he's able to to go home and see what Eliza has to say. Yes, that's an odd one, isn't it? So, and then go to, to go back to their house as well. Yeah. Um, and if there was any concern for Eliza, which you would have thought there should be if they felt she was in any kind of trouble. Absolutely. Why would you leave her for even longer? That's a really good point, because yeah. if, if, if the case is she'd done it and she's either mad or bad, well, if you think she's unstable, as you say, you go straight home. Yes. You know, there's nothing to stop the whites waiting until Samuel gets in the house from the road <coughs> and then going along and knocking on his door and saying, yeah. we found your lies are stealing yeah. again when he's in another conversation. Yes. So that's actually a really interesting point. Yeah. Or, or if you were, or if they were concerned about her state of mind, mm-hmm. well, you would, they would go before he had even probably come out of work. Yeah, Mrs. White is supposed to be a friend. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. White would go along and say, is are you okay? okay. Yeah. Calm everything down. It's all right. <laughs> you know, we're sorry Kirsty said, or, you know, whatever the kerfuffle's been. But they're That's, wanting to forewarn Samuel yeah, about something. About something. And if they wanted to forewarn him about something that was that they were that was out of concern for the two of them or for 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 Eliza, they would have gone straight to the house. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yes. They would have said, "We need to get you. We need to get yes. to her." It's it's the actions of the white, the whites that makes this. You know the the timeline, the actions of the whites is just so suspicious, and because we don't have that police log. 
there's so much we don't know about that. So we're stuck. That's why I jumped on. We know she's stolen before because if that's true, it begs the question about the timeline. Why does Mr. White have to go to the mill to tell Samuel? Something about that she's something done that before. everyone is aware of. Yeah. Yes. And why in God's name is she invited into the White's house? Yeah. If she cannot be trusted. Yeah. Mm, to the, do this, this yeah. begs answers. Yeah, yes. This is the problem. Everything the Whites say and everything the Whites do and everything the Whites don't say because we've got that flipping missing police log. Yeah. We have got nothing to back up what they're saying because I know that in the precognition statements. Um, nobody says to Robert White, well, what did you speak to Samuel about for those 20 minutes? And that's not in there. Is that possibly in that missing police log? I don't know. Or has Mr. Dodgy Sergeant Milne got something to hide there as well? I just don't possibly. know. Yeah, yeah it, well, it sounds it sounds like something's a bit <coughs> odd there, isn't it? That he, he, he goes away and leaves the situation. Yes, you know. yeah, I've never understood that. Keep an eye on Eliza while I go and get my chum. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, from what I've been reading through, I don't think that's correct procedure. I mean, I know it wouldn't be today, but I don't think it was even then. And even if no. it is then, well, surely you would say, keep an eye on Eliza and Samuel, because they're both co-accused they're at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that. It smacks less of correct procedure and more of kind of crisis management, in my opinion, mm. is, is, mm-hmm. is, is what they're attempting to do. Yeah. Or th- is this another opportunity for Sergeant Milne to leave... Samuel, where Samuel can then leave the house and go back and have another wee word with the whites if necessary. Mm-hmm. Because in what I've read, the bit between the alarm being raised and um, Sergeant Milne coming back from here, it's all confusion. I don't know where Samuel is at this point. Because mm. the wee girl has been taken, Isabel has been taken to a neighbour's house and Daniel's been taken to a neighbour's house. Yeah. And another neighbour, these are all unnamed, puts Eliza to bed mm-hmm. and keeps an eye on her. I don't know where Samuel is and what he's doing at this point. It's a, it's a, a very odd situation when there's been such a serious crime committed. Yes, yes. You know, I, I don't know what was the normal procedures in Victorian times. You wouldn't leave two suspected criminals, mm. serious criminals. Well, you wouldn't think you know, so, that, that Possibly. You? Well, one of the, somebody's taken the life of the children. Yes, and at that point they're so, both co-accused. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't leave them. And say, right, just stay there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, when, when you've got a perfectly acceptable police station just down the road in Stout with mm-hmm. a police cell in there. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I don't understand that. And as I say, I can't find where Samuel is. So Samuel can get up and saunter back down to the whites to have a word or let them know or, or sit in there or whatever. I don't know what Samuel's doing at this point. And could all be starting out their stories and... You know. Yeah, because I, I mean, if first, if we're thinking that Samuel and the Whites are a bit dodgy, he's left the Whites, gone back to Eliza, his own house to see Eliza. He thinks it's all sorted. Yeah. He walks into some horrific scene, whatever happened. He then has to go back along the road to tell the Whites what has happened. Yeah. Because all the the vague phrase is the alarm is raised by whom? Now, to me, that phrase should be Samuel Clafton ran screaming out into the street. Somebody's killed my children. Yeah. Or a statement like that. That, to me, would be the statement. A shout went up, murder, or something like that. But well, would, the yeah. alarm is raised. It's such a vague... Yeah, and does it mean you would? I mean, if you were, you came home to, to that kind of scene, yeah. surely you would. You would run outside. You would you go to your immediate yeah. neighbour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, no. even if you just were, were incoherent and ran out into the street screaming, yeah. you wouldn't. The alarm is raised. It's such a vague... <laughs> 
It's like the the previous, uh, the other phrase, um, not previous, sorry, the other phrase, the doctor was sent for. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor from Gala appears. You know, if, it's all these vague, vague, vague statements. Are we thinking then that Samuel may have gone back to the Whites to let them know that, you know, that that, that story we got together? (laughs) Well, guess what's happened? Guess what's happened to us. (laughs) We need to embellish a little bit now. I don't know, because we just don't know where he is and what he's doing. And what about this uh, doctor from Gala Shields? There's no explanation, I take it, of why he happens to be in style. No. I mean, he may be, he could be visiting somebody. Absolutely. I mean, I doubt he's going to be visiting somebody because there's two perfectly competent, well, allegedly competent yeah. doctors in uh, Stout the Manor Head. But he could have been visiting a patient or visiting a friend. Mm-hmm. But again, so so somebody is sent is sent to go and get the doctor. Mm. So somebody, like say you've got a 10-year-old, you say, quick, quick, go and get Dr Middleton, go get Dr McDougall. And they start to run down the road. How are they going to recognise the doctor from Gala Shields? Mm. Is he going to be carrying his doctor's bag? One hopes so, because if I'm a 10-year-old running in a hurry to do a message, I'm not going to recognise a man from Galashiels, am I? I've no That's We like, don't you know, know the circumstances. That's, that's, again, we don't know who goes because we have no police log. It has just gone walkabout. And, of course, the fact that it wasn't her local doctor that came points more towards Samuel. It implicates him in a way because she would maybe have a good relationship with the local doctors. They might mm-hmm. be aware yeah. of whatever yeah. her relationship is because it, I can't imagine there's a good relationship going on there mm-hmm. for something like that to happen. You, you know, it was maybe convenient not to have the local doctor there. It was, yes. Although they, yeah. I think they came later, didn't they? They came later. So by the time... Sergeant Milne comes back from Harriet, all three doctors are in attendance. The little girl, as I say, has been taken to a neighbour's house. The little boy's been taken to a neighbour's house. Mm -hmm. Eliza's been put to bed. The doctors are presumably tending to little Daniel and to Eliza, who both at this point got cut throats. And sadly, the little boy dies the next again morning, which I find odd as well. The little boy's not taken into medical care, is he? Well, <laughs> not from what I can read. It says he's no. taken to a, to a neighbour's house. By a neighbour. Yes. He's no. first found sitting sitting upright on the floor but with his head on one side, yeah. sort of holding the wound as it were. So he's not seriously enough injured to be taken down to the doctors to stay under the care of the doctor. And yet he dies of the wound, which I find really odd. And why get him out of the way? Yes. Why remove him from... Taking away from his mother. Well, I mean, perhaps yeah. if they thought she did it but at it, that point, they maybe thought either of them had done yeah. it. They maybe felt they had mm. to take him yeah, out of the true. way. But I've got nothing on paper of anybody asking <coughs> the wee boy who done it to him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have anybody saying to the wee boy, who hurt you? Was it your mummy? Was it your daddy? Was it somebody else? Well, if he was sitting up and they found him, I'm yeah. assuming he could have communicated in some form. Yes. If you can't speak, point. Even if you can't yeah. speak, you could point. Yeah. Or nod, um, shake his head. But again, that's a bit odd. So the alarm is raised. People start running into the house. Eliza's sort of lying half slumped in the chair with a cut throat. Daniel's sitting on the floor. Why has Samuel not scooped that wee boy right. up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And started running? Because my initial reaction, if that had been me, if I had been Samuel and walked in... 
I've got my wee baby girl is dead, my wee boy is injured, and my wife's lying there. I would have picked up that wee boy and run to the doctors. Mm-hmm. That would have been my first reaction. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Why is the wee boy sitting there? And the neighbours are coming in and several neighbours say the wee boy's sitting on the floor. Mm. Why has Samuel not scooped that wee boy up into his arms? Why is he not screaming for a doctor for his son? There may be some jeopardy in saving the little boy for Samuel. Yes, because that little boy might point fingers, even if he can't speak. And I find it curious that he does. If he had died a couple of weeks down the line with an infection and a wound, I can get that. But if he's not ill enough to need to be tended overnight by a doctor, then why is he so injured that he dies the next day? Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm getting my defence in. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nurse, so I'm going to we don't Why does Samuel not yeah. scoop that wee boy up and start running for the doctors and yelling at the top of his voice? Why is that wee boy left sitting there? And why would Eliza just be put to bed in her own home if she was such a danger? Surely she would have been removed. Yeah. As I say, there's a, there's a would, police would station. Would he not have been wanting her removed? If he, yeah. he's come home yeah. to that, yeah. he's not going to want her in the, the, the home, surely. Yeah. I don't know where Samuel spent the night. She spent the night in her bed, in her house, at one mill bank cottages. I don't know where he spent the night. Mm. I've no idea. But there's a there's a police station down in Stow with a police cell. They're both co-accused at that moment. Maybe she can't be moved because she's injured. Fine. So you have... PC Barr, who comes down from here, who watches her overnight, then Samuel should be in the police cell mm. if he's a co-accused, but he's not. This is fascinating because now that Karen's here, having joined us, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I still this all is, these why questions. even is, more why a, questions. I said earlier in, in, in this episode that I was really frustrated by this saga because at the very beginning, when the case comes to trial, there is only one question. Yeah. Is she mad or is she bad? Yeah. And yet, on this travel along this this complicated story by looking at so many pieces of source material, we end up asking so many questions Questions, about it. But why were they so sure that she had done it? The justice system just simply said there is no question. Either she she did it and she's mad or she's bad. But she never admitted. No. She never admitted. She always said she remembered writing a suicide note. She remembered cutting her own throat, she did not remember touching the children. And she never changed from that. And, of course, it's very unlikely. It's very rare for a a woman to kill her children. To kill her children. And And particularly in such a violent way. Absolutely. But I do not do not know, we have a missing police log, of course, and I will keep on going about it. Yes, that's (laughs) very We go from Samuel being the co-accused when Isabella is dead, the next day... Daniel dies, mm-hmm. and instantly Samuel goes from co-accused to not guilty of anything whatsoever. He's Mr. Innocence. Which is where you, you wonder what, the, what he, he had yeah, on the policeman, yeah. for yes. instance. Or, yes. We have the potential smoking gun, potential smoking gun of a relatively senior policeman saying, what else could you say? Yeah. She told me she had changed she her changed mind. She changed her mind. This I find, uh, and the fact incredible. that the, the fact that neither the prosecution nor the defence use that. Even go near that. It's a very odd thing to see anyway, isn't it? It's very odd. But if I was the defence barrister, I'd say, well, see what she says. She writes one thing and changes her mind. She's completely mad. Clearly mad, mad. yeah. I would use that. But then I can't because it's Sergeant Dodgy, Mm -hmm. who's well known to be Sergeant Dodgy, which is why PC Barr's saying, I'm not touching that. Had, Had she been completely mad, 
which she would have had to have been. She would have had to have serious mental health issues to have done such a thing. So had she been as mad as that, surely there would have been more done before that point. And I come back to the point of them leaving her in the house. Yeah. Not getting back to her, not attending to her. Yeah, that's a good point. And what you were saying earlier about her knowing the doctor, if she was as insane as that, kill her children and attempt to kill herself, surely the local doctor would know. Rather than the guy from Ghana. Yeah. 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 And there doesn't seem to be any word of that at all, does there? There's nothing that I can find in the documentation. And as I say, there's, there's, you know, for Samuel to be co- I can understand the, you know, the police come in and, oh, it's a scene of horror. Obviously, the two parents probably did it, so they're both co-accused. So far, so ordinary. Mm-hmm. Overnight, Daniel, who might have been able to point fingers, <coughs> dies. And then Samuel's off the hook completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the timeline, well, we don't really care about the timeline because she'd done it. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter that, that Mr. White and Samuel had the conversation at State the Mill. It doesn't matter that Samuel went back to the Whites. It doesn't matter that we don't know what happened to Samuel after the alarm was raised. None of that matters. she done it, mad or bad. Yeah. And doesn't seem to matter that he's he's got a slightly dodgy background himself. Yes, you know it Miss, doesn't Mr. seem to come in. Yeah. And, you know that he's he's left a place in England, given some sort of explanation about a woman saying he's the father of her child, and then there's no other explanation. And then yeah. and he's come so far away from yeah. where he was from. You know he's 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 left something, and he's changed his name. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. know that yeah. suggests that he's yeah. he's. Being fearful of something. Yeah. So there's and there's no reference to that, is there? Well, there's this a is a man who yeah. doesn't leave a trace. Yeah. Oh, you know, he runs yeah, he and he it. doesn't leave a trace. Yeah. And that was a point you made earlier when we were chatting, Karen. How do we even know that his real name was Samuel Clafton? Mm-hmm. We don't. No. Now he's going to have papers as a journeyman weaver. He's going to have papers so that when he goes for a job, he can say, "Here's my papers that prove I'm a journeyman." But just because he's got Samuel Clafton's journeyman papers doesn't mean to say he's actually Samuel Clafton. They could be stolen or they could be forged. Mm. We actually don't know if his name is Samuel Clafton. Well, at we all. know that he's yeah. been John Smith. So at one point, that could be anything. <laughs> and later, maybe we plan to later today, um, when the wind drops a little bit, we plan to visit the local kirk and the, the graveyard. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the man doesn't even seem to have left a trace <laughs> in memory of his two kids. No, there's nothing there. And that's that's suspicious, surely, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because if he cared about his children, surely he would want their, their to have to be some sort of mark. Could, 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 they, could they have been buried somewhere else? or They could have been, but it's unlikely. Yeah, it's unlikely. They would probably have been buried here. But again, I don't know because there's nothing in the records because by the time all the information we have are precognition statements and trial statements and the trial doesn't concern itself with that. Hmm. I don't know who arranged a burial that would be in, guess where, the police log that I don't yeah, have. Yeah. So I don't know. And there's no record of any, well, there's obviously no record in style of their burial. No. 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 But it's it would, it, it would it, be likely. It, it, it just never happened. Yes. This whole thing. Yeah. And yet you know what happened because of the, the papers. Yes, it's in the papers. The, the mm. court documents are there. But it's just, you know, it's like so many of the characters are just a will-o'-the-wisp. You know, Sergeant Milne disappears and Samuel disappears and the children are murdered and Eliza disappears and, and it's it's really odd. And again, I mean, this is great, because you're, you're coming up with even questions. So I'm thinking, yeah, I didn't think of that either. We, we could, exactly this that. podcast yeah, yeah. could run and run and run. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not, they weren't. Why? 
I don't suppose they were from here, so they were mm. sort of uh, um, incomers, so to speak. Yes. Which is probably stangy in slightly different state oh, from, yeah. from yeah. people that are from yeah. a village or yeah. what have you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, perhaps that's one of the reasons that we don't know about it in this sort of because it doesn't seem like it's that long ago to know nothing mm. about it in Stow. Well, no, I mean, that was one thing I, I was worried about, whether or not there might be relatives of the Whites still in the village, and I suppose there might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it's just an odd one, and it's one of these stories that it's, I got under my skin a little bit as to what happened and the yes. why questions, all of the, those why questions. And the more I think about it, the more my questions are come yeah. up with. I mean, you can never know for certain, but I still can't help but thinking that Samuel is the bad blood here. Yeah. Or whatever his name was. I can't really, I find it very hard to believe that a woman would do this. I also think that she was very vulnerable. Absolutely. And you can't help thinking, comparing it with, with situations that are more modern and like nowadays, where people are very controlling and how they control somebody and they pick on somebody that's vulnerable. And I can't help feeling that Samuel's background and the things that he's done and moving her away from her home, what have you, and then having to move from Selkirk, you just wonder what's happened along the way that people have known about. Yeah, I I think that's really key. You're right, predatory people pick on vulnerable people. She's vulnerable because she is the product of sin herself. She is illegitimate. And I'm sure her aunt... Whom she named as her mother Betsy was very loving and all the rest of it, but it was still that stain was still on her, so it just marked her a little bit, and you know, and and it's true. Predatory people do know that. I don't know how they do it, but they sort of have a radar where they they pick on. They seem to be drawn. I mean, yeah, we don't obviously know. we yeah. can't go back in time and know that that's no. the situation, but no, but but the facts that you do know suggest. Yeah, it could it could well be yeah. that that's that's a scenario. Yeah, that's Karen. That that that's it, I was going to say reassuring. It's not reassuring. That's the wrong word. But you you're obviously thinking about this in in the same terms as we have yes. as we've been going through this. I've this, tried. This story. Yeah, I've tried to kind of play devil's advocate to in a way and, yeah. and see the other side and think. Well, has she had mental health problems? And perhaps she has, but then surely her family would be, be either concerned about her or make sure that she she wasn't with her children on her own and what have you. I just, mm. I can't understand. Again, I'm going yeah. back to the night that it happened yeah. and the fact that they left yeah. her on her own for you're, even you're, longer. Yeah. Exactly you know, your point about the last about thing you would yeah. do. The lack of care. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. even even if even if she did it, it's still a tragedy because this was a vulnerable woman who was struggling, who had mental health issues... And nobody helped yeah. because they had moved so many times, because of her deafness, because of her incontinence. She was isolated. She didn't have someone that she could turn to. She didn't have a mother or a sister. She didn't have a very close friend. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a member of the curtain. Mm-hmm. And so maybe she did kill her children out of complete desperation. I can't get past a suicide note, but you know, let's yeah. say she yeah. did do it. Then it is equally a tragedy that there was no one that she could turn to. Even no those who had to. welcomed her into the house turned against her, and that is the ultimate tragedy yes, for yes, me. Yes, yes, that, that the whites turned against her. Very, very sad. To protect themselves. Yeah. Yes, you can't help but thinking though they were they, they were concocting a a story. Yes, who, who, whoever <laughs> killed the children, the whites were making sure that there was no blame landing on their doorstep. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and, and Kirsty's statement, as you've pointed out, in another 
podcast you said about Kirsty's how it was very rehearsed. <coughs> oh, it was word yeah. for word. And it wasn't the kind of words that a, a young girl would be using. Yeah, it was absolutely word for word. And it. as they did with the older daughter, what do you do with the problem? You make it go away. Yeah, and that's very much of that era, I guess. Karen, thank you for that. Well, maybe that was that was really interesting to hear what Karen had to say and her view of the way things unfolded. Yes, and, great to get somebody else's perspective. And, and, and personally, I'm hoping that anyone who takes the time to listen to all five parts five. <laughs> of what I'm now going to call a saga, yep. um, it'll be very interesting to hear their views and comments. On yes, I'm hoping people do. I mean, we have had some feedback already, so it'll be interesting yeah. if people have listened yeah. to everything to hear what they have to say. And wow. they may well disagree with everything we've said, and that's absolutely fine. No, I'm not getting ahead of myself, but one comment you showed me <laughs> was that someone had suggested this story should be the next Netflix presentation, oh, yeah. but I don't think we're ever going to get there. No, if I... <laughs> When we, when we finish this, I am never reading this number of documents again for no. one book. No, <laughs> You've done no. a, a really sterling <laughs> job looking through all this. But that, that's been great for me because what it's, it, it's just meant that we've twisted and turned and we, we've been around a few... Absolutely, yeah. A few corners yes, and, and a few false trails. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've finally begun to see some light Yes, I mean, at the, the end of the proverbial tunnel. The contradictions between what I thought in episode one and yep. what I think now have reflected the contradictions in those statements that I've had to read. Absolutely. So Because at first I was getting really agitated. I'm thinking, oh, flip, I don't know what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. But it's the nature of, of a case where he said, she said. Yep. So that's been revelatory for me. And our minds and views have, have changed and twisted. Very well, much along so. with the Men evidence have, as it's rolled out. Yes, yes. Something which I want to point the finger at the justice system, which they didn't take the time to do, mm-hmm. particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Mad or bad, end of. And that was it, yes. Yeah. Yes. But one thing that we said we would talk about, because these tragic events unfold. But what about the aftermath for all the key players? Of yeah. course. Everybody who's left with with this horror that's happened in their community, in their neighbourhood. And it's perhaps too simple for me to say a lot of them got away with this and and there there was just one victim. Mm. But maybe it's something you you mentioned earlier in in this instalment. Um, Can I just ask you about Sergeant, soon to be (laughs) PC, Milne? Yes. What does his future look like? Well... Peter Milne was married. He was a married man with three children, and he was originally from Banffshire. And that was quite common, that you wouldn't be policing in the area that you grew up in, Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Not only does he get demoted within four weeks of this trial, he leaves Stow, and he leaves the borders, and I can't find him. So in the 1881 census, he's not here. Now, Mm -hmm. I can find a PC Milne in Edinburgh, that might be him, it's a similar age, but I'm not quite sure, and there's one in Stirling that might be him, and there's one up in Aberdeen. But I don't know. I don't know if he left the place altogether or where he went, but he was gone. Now, him being in Edinburgh would make sense, so that the, yes. the bosses could keep an eye on him. It might well be, yes. <laughs> Alfred John List might have said, right, yeah. you're now going to be, I don't know, sitting behind a desk Back here, so. in the Edinburgh yeah. office doing yeah. nothing. Yeah. Or he might have left the police altogether, but I can't find him. Mm. 
Um, I tried looking at obviously correlating with his wife and his children, but I just cannot find him. Because again, these are all victims in a way, because his wife is living in Stow, his three children are attending school, their entire school, you know, everything's disrupted. They've gone from, oh, my daddy's the police sergeant to, why is your daddy the police constable? You know, even if he was just <coughs> demoted for incompetence, those kids are going to school and oh, your daddy was involved in that. Why is he now a police constable, not a sergeant? There's a lot of movement and change of circumstance yes, throughout this whole these are story. The, these are the ripples yeah. that happen yeah. when a tragedy happens. You know, we, we, you were mentioning earlier watching, uh, was it Silent Witness, a prime suspect, or any of these programmes. And obviously you're focused on the victim and you're focused on the, mm. the, the person what done it. But it's all the other people mm-hmm. that are affected yeah. along the way. Yeah. And Sergeant Mill's children and his wife were affected. She, she's the sergeant's wife. She goes into the shop with her head held high and then all of a sudden she's got to sort of scurry into the post office and stow and, you know, he's no longer a sergeant, he's a constable. What's all that about? Gossip, gossip, gossip. Mm. But definitely by 1881, he is, he's completely gone and he's okay. definitely right. not in the borders or south of Scotland area at all. But what okay. else happened to him? I don't know. Now, to come to the family, the Whites, mm. who for me, for me personally, lie at the center of this case. Yes. Mr. White, we know, has gone from being a, a mill worker mm-hmm. to the rather prestigious uh, career mm-hmm. now of being a provisioner in, in the village. Absolutely, a provision merchant. With a reputation to protect. So let's talk about the aftermath for the White family. What have you unearthed about them? Should we talk about them um, one by one? Well, after the trial, I don't know what the neighbourhood thought after the trial. I mean, Kirsty gets to go up and tell her story. We know all that. And Mr and Mrs White, they give the statement, but they're not called to give evidence. Mm -hmm. It's just really to sort of corroborate what Kirsty said. That's all they sort of say. But afterwards, I don't know how the community would have viewed them. Because, of course, it's been uncovered about baby Robert. And, you know, everybody knows that they mm-hmm. had the daughter, Jane, who's, we still, I still haven't found still her. Still can't find her, yeah. But by 1881, Kirsty is still in that shop. She's still behind that shop counter. She's 25 years old at this point, and she's unmarried. Now, most girls round about that time were getting married around about 19, mm-hmm. 20, 21. Yeah. She's the daughter of a provision merchant, and yet she can't get a husband. That's very unusual. She's had her day in the sun, or, or mm-hmm. day or two in the sun in court. Mm-hmm. Yep. The spotlight's on her. Uh-huh. She must be feeling great. But now you're saying that all these years later, she's yep. stuck behind, behind the counter, the counter in that shop. The shop. Now, her mother has died at this point. Uh-huh. Her father's still there. And baby Robert is now about 12 years old. Baby Robert's attending the school, uh-huh. which was built you know, just after these tragedies happened. Kirsty's taking care of her younger brother. Her older brother, Robert Jr., he's gone. So the household is now her dad, her, and what was baby Robert, a 12-year-old. And that's what she's become. She's now still behind the shop. She's having no fun. She's not getting to go to the mill. She's not married. She's got no family of her own. But she's having to care for her 12-year-old nephew. Ah, interesting. This segues back, in a sense, to the apparent suicide note because young Kirsty White, mm-hmm. 
who after episode two, I was convinced, was quite a madam. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. I thought so Things have not turned out particularly well no, for her. Then. it hasn't. Because why would she not be mad? She's a catch. Yeah. You know, she's an absolute catch. Her dad's got a bit of money. Okay, there's a sort of family wee bit of a nonsense about, you know, Jane who had the baby and Jane had to go and all that. But curse to yourself, she's a catch. And then afterwards, if you think, well, oh, she was involved with that and that, that Sammy and... There was that murder and everything, you know, so maybe people are looking at her thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to go out with that girl, I don't know if I want to ask her out. So it starts off with her being, oh, and she was up in Edinburgh in the high yeah, court, yeah. and oh, it's all very fantastic. Yeah. But ten years down the line, she's still standing behind the counter in her daddy's shop. On taking, the shelf. Yeah, which is rather she's on the shelf at 25. The thing is, I then had a look at the 1891 mm. census, and guess where she is? Behind the counter oh in the shop at the age of 35, unmarried. That's her life. Your view, in, in, I think in part two of this story, was Mrs. White insisted, you, you felt that Mrs. White insisted that her husband and Robert Jr., the son, she dispatched them both to the mill yes. to meet Samuel. Yes. Because she wanted to get things straight. She wanted to sort it out with Kirsty. Mm-hmm. So a button's really fallen on Kirsty then. She's, mm-hmm. she's not a winner yeah. in, in this whole story. No, she's not a winner. No, she's I've still behind the job. Because yeah. I did. I thought she was some, you know, smart mouthed wee madam. Yeah. I don't think she is anymore. Mm. I think she's not a much a victim as Daniel or Isabella. And obviously not as much a victim as sure, Eliza. Sure. But she's a victim of this. But a victim of sorts. Yeah. Because why else would she be unmarried? Now, she could be unmarried for another reason. There could be a perfectly good reason why she's unmarried, but it's unusual. It's very unusual that she's still there. This time, by 91, her father's quite elderly. She's obviously taking care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, baby Robert is now 22 and is working in the mill, having the fun of being and in the mill. And baby Robert's in the mill. Sorry? Baby Robert is Baby in, Robert, in. yes, he's in the mill. He's having a good old time laughing and joking with the lads and mm-hmm. flirting with the girls. She's not. She's standing behind that counter. Day Wondering who his day father was. After day. Perhaps. Possibly. Possibly. Her sister, uh, Kirsty's sister Jane, is still not in the picture, she's so not, I don't think right. she's come back. She may well have decided not to come back and make a life for herself. Mm-hmm. But Kirsty, who still in that shop, because that shop faces onto the main road. Yeah. So she will be able to watch her, her little nephew get up in the morning, have his breakfast and go off to the mill having laughing and joking and having yeah. fun with the rest of the mill workers and she's stuck on her own in the shop. It was a man's world, yeah. And that's it. And she's not yeah. even got her mother anymore. Her mother's dead. Understand. She's got no female company. I don't know. Maybe Kirsty's enjoying her life. Maybe she's loving being in charge of the shop. Maybe she's having a great time not being married. But I can't imagine that for a late Victorian girl of that age. No, I think we can spare the thought for her. I think she, she's, she's become a victim as well yeah. in this. And Mrs. White is by this time dead. Does, yeah. does Mr. White um, maintain his reputation in the village? As far he as seems know? to have done, yes. He continues to be a, a merchant, a provisions merchant. Job done. Job done, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I suppose... Inexorably, this brings us to Samuel, John. <laughs> well, the reason I'm not saying anything is I've got nothing to say. The man with many names. Well, the man with many names disappears. No. I can't find him. Can't find him at all. Gone. Now, 
John Smith, I can find 101 John Smith. I can find as many John Smiths as you like. But I can't find a John Smith that I can prove is Samuel Clafton. And I cannot find another Samuel Clafton anywhere. anywhere. He has gone. He hasn't... Okay, I'll have to be very careful how I say this. If Samuel Clafton died... Any time after 1871, which obviously he would have done, if he died in Scotland, his death was not registered as Samuel Clafton. But how would it have been registered? If... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is my problem. I don't know what name he... Because this is the problem, right? Samuel disappears. He's lost. He's out of trouble yeah, yeah. He's gone, right? Let's say he goes to Edinburgh, just for conversation's sake. So he pitches up in Edinburgh and calls himself Doug Swan. And oh, then, you found me out. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he dies the following week yeah. in his rooms, and people say, oh, who was, oh, I don't really know, he'd only moved in recently, but his name was Doug Swan. So his death is registered as Doug Swan. Yeah. This is the problem, because yeah. there's no ID, there's no passports, there's nothing like that. So if you pitch up and you say your name's Doug Swan, people say, oh, well, his name must be Doug Swan. And we even had the local newspapers, maybe the Castle Chronicle, for yeah. example, already uncovering the alias. The and he's not as John Clafton for some time. Yeah, J- well. John, John Smith, John, John Clafton, Smith, Samuel John Smith, Samuel yeah. Clafton. Yeah. You've got all sorts of variations. So I don't know, because his, his, um, his age changes, I have no idea where he goes. I cannot find a Samuel Clafton who dies in Scotland. Now, I mean, I don't mean I can't find one that fits his age. I just can't find one at all. Uh-huh. Okay? So if he died in Scotland, it wasn't under the name Samuel Clafton. If I go to the English records, uh-huh. well, I can find question. a uh-huh. few that may or may not be him mm. because I don't know, because I don't know what age he was pretending to be. Uh-huh. Um, and because I don't know where he was born, I can't check that either. Because, of course, remember, the only thing we've got in his background is Dukesbury, but he yeah, never said Dukesbury, he was from yeah. Dukesbury. He said he yeah. lived in Dukesbury. Yeah. So I don't know. The Welsh records are the same, as are the Irish records. Mm. So I have no idea. Mm. And if I start looking under John Smith, I just lose the will to live because Absolutely. there are so many of them. So yeah. I don't know. The man that's at the centre of this, who starts out being a co-accused, his two children are murdered, disappears that's into the night. Act. Yeah. As if he never existed. Gone. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to the phrase, never existed in terms of Samuel. <laughs> it, for me, it's as if a crime never existed. Yes. It, yes. This, this is how it feels it's to all, me. It's all gone. It's gone. He's gone. The it's children washed. are gone. Eliza's yeah. gone. Yeah. Let's all just forget about the Claftons. Yeah. Let's forget all about them. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm repeating myself, but but as I wander around the village, I I, I still have yet to come across anyone who remembers Mm -hmm. this story. Yeah. And I do ask. Yeah. As I say, I mean, coming from Glasgow, I, perhaps it's just me, but I'm not a true crime buff at all. I know of the murders that took place in Glasgow, in Victoria and Glasgow, because I heard about them because people talked about them. Yeah. They talked about Madeline Smith and the arsenic and the cocoa. You know, Uh yeah. And yeah. yet this isn't spoken, and in a much smaller community, you would think that this would be spoken about. And yet it's as if, no, it never happened. They've all gone, so let's not talk about it. You know, so if we I, book I, at I this, know. you have, at the start of the process, this binary mad or bad, mm-hmm. in Eliza's case. And then towards the end, people just disappear. Yes, it just, they just drift away. And of course, Sergeant Milne, he's no longer he's, here. Yeah. 
And of course, the doctor that first attended it was the doctor from Galashiel, so he's sort of really not here. Mm-hmm. And PC Barr, who who is tangentially involved, well, he's actually up in Harriet, so he's no longer here. Yeah. The children are no longer here. Eliza's gone. Samuel's gone. Mm-hmm. Mrs. White, one of the whites, she's gone. Robert Junior, he's gone. The only person that's left is Kirsty, standing behind that counter. That's really the only person that's left. And perhaps with that, the, the truth has gone. Yeah. Uh, long gone. Who knows? Samuel's like a ghost in the night. Because the thing is, he, <laughs> yeah. he yeah. only came here in 1866. Mm-hmm. He was only here for five or six years, and then he was gone. And at that point, he was a wraith-like figure as well. Yeah. You know, on the run from Dukesbury, then travelling and, yes. and moving around. Yes. Selkirk, Fife. Mm-hmm. Back down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So sadly then, that brings me to poor Eliza. And I, and mm-hmm. I use that adjective because I do feel a lot of sympathy for her. Is, is there any more on Samuel that, that we can say for sure? On uh, Samuel? Absolutely not. No. No. Go no. But with Eliza, we know that she was definitely released from the asylum. Um, 26 years after Indeed, she so, so she's released in 1898. Oh, and then on the 17th of December, 1898, a woman's body is found mm. in the River Leslie. Back up in Fife. In Fife. Sorry, my apologies, the River Leaven. Uh-huh. <laughs> Near Leslie Near in Fife. Yeah, yeah. Dear me, geography was never my strong point. <laughs> and this woman's body is, is pulled ashore and she's drowned. She's dead. Uh-huh. And it's of Eliza. Um, she'd been dead for possibly 24, possibly even 48 hours. And she was under the care of the poor officer at the time. She's listed as actually the wife of John. Now, she's listed as Eliza Clafton. Yeah. She's the daughter of Isabella, and we know that she was the natural daughter of Isabella. But she's listed as the wife of John. Because remember, when they first met, he was John He was John. To her. Yeah. Now, we don't know that she drowned herself in the river, but I can think of no reason why somebody who's living on the poor parish, so she's not got many clothes, she's not got a lot of nutrition in her system, she's by this time in her early 50s, which is quite old by Victorian standards, yeah, she's yeah. been through everything she's been through, why would she be walking along a river bank in December? There's no reason to walk along there. She's walking out of the town unless she's gone to throw herself in the river. Now, that's purely conjecture on my part, but I can yeah. I, I think yeah. it's somewhat poignant that she goes back to Leslie. Yeah. She goes back to her hometown. And going back, I'm holding now in my hand the extract from the Statutory Register of Death, 1898. And going back to what we talked about earlier, she's the, the widow of... John of John Clafton. Mm-hmm. So this name change yet yeah. again. Yeah. She is listed as Isabella Scott. Her mother is Isabella Scott. Isabella yes. Scott. And we yes. talked about that in a previous episode. Yes. The the, the, the parentage. Yes. Eliza's parentage. Eliza Clafton, widow of John Clafton. Drowning. Yeah. It's very open. It's, it's very open, yes. Yes. Now she's gone back to you. You mentioned the the the, the what are they called the inspectorate of the poor or something. Yeah. She's gone back to Fife because she's able to 
She can claim poor relief. She can claim poor relief. Now, she, she would be allowed to claim poor relief anywhere in Scotland. Ah, okay. So what would happen is, let's say she came back to Killochiet mm. and she applied for poor relief here. She could be given it, but then the officer for here, the inspector for here, would write to her home parish and say, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have an Eliza Clafton here born in your parish. You need to recompense me. And that did happen. It was unusual, but it did happen. But, but it's interesting it, that she's chosen not to come back here. Well, I, it's not only interesting, I think it's entirely explainable. I've, I've spent a lot of time, as we've been recording podcasts on this story, if I put myself, I've spent a lot of time in Eliza's shoes. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the last thing I would do is come back here. Yes. If I were her. Yeah. But then, what has she got in Leslie? She's got nothing in Good Leslie. Point. Mind you, yeah. she's got nothing in Killer yet. Yeah. And of course, what... To me, the ultimate tragedy of Eliza is that if you think of Eliza's life, at the age of about 16, she <clears> runs <throat> away with John Smith. Yeah. I mean, that's scandalous. So she starts off, she's, she's born illegitimate. Then at the age of 16, a daft, silly wee 16 year old girl, because all girls of 16 are daft and silly. It's the nature of the beast. She runs away with this fellow that she's fallen in love with. And she runs all the way down to the board, doesn't it? It's all very exciting and oh, what exciting, run away from my mum and all the rest of it. Yep. And then they move to Selkirk where they both get a job in the mill and it's fantastic and they've got a bit of money. And then he says, oh, let's get married. She's like, oh yeah, it's going to get married. Oh, but by the way, by John the way. Smith's not my name. <laughs> yeah. It's Samuel Clafton. Yeah. She goes, oh, okay, but that's a bit, maybe it's a bit glamorous, but exciting. So they get married and then he says, let's move to Killer Yet. Mm. You think, well, wait a minute, there's a pattern here. Because, so he meets her in Fife and pulls her away from her family mm. all the way down to the borders. And then they just sort of get organised in the borders and then he's got her married, so then he's got control over her. And then he moves her from Selkirk, where she might have been making friends in the mill, up to Killerhead, yep. where it's a much smaller community. And then, there you go, there's your first baby, Daniel. Mm-hmm. So now she's stuck in the house with a baby. And then there's the operation. Yep. And then there's the incontinence. And then there's the deafness. And then there's the not church of skulls. And then there's another baby. And then she commits, she attempts suicide and, and her children are murdered. Either by her hand or by somebody else's or hand in front of her. Then she's arrested. Then she's chucked in prison. Then she's got a trial. <coughs> then she's chucked in an asylum for 26 years. Mm. When does she get a chance to draw breath? When does this young girl of 16 to 26, when does she get a chance to mourn her babies and then to be released from the asylum after goodness knows what and to wander back to Leslie? And then after she dies, she's buried in a pauper's grave and the ultimate, the ultimate ending to Eliza's story, she's not even put to rest beside her own babies. She's lying in an unmarked pauper's grave in Leslie. Having possibly committed suicide. Possibly. You can see where that would lead. I mean, this this is all the hallmarks of of a modern-day coercive control situation, but it's taking part in Victorian times. Yes. It begs the question. Yeah. And as I say, because Samuel is such a, a ghost... Mm-hmm. We can't say if this was if he was a deliberately coercively controlling man or if he was just a Victorian bloke because yeah. we don't know some of all of the characters. We, we sort of know Kirsty a little bit. We know this one. Yeah. We know that one. Yeah. We don't know Samuel because there's nothing for us to know. There is nothing there. Mm. Yet he's the catalyst for so much. That, for so that much that happened. Yeah. 
So I think perhaps now is the time for us to have a bit of a chat about the two little children that are at the centre of this story. Let's think about Daniel and Isabella. You believe that it's, for lack of any other plausible answer, you believe that they... Isabella and Daniel may well be in the papa's grave in the old graveyard of the the church nearby. Yes. Shall we take a walk over there and spend a bit of time talking about Eliza's two children? Yes, let's do that. So, Mary, we're standing here in the freezing cold, I hate to say, and Cassie's annoying me for a treat. And we're in the bowels of the... Bowels being the... The, the correct word of the 13th century Kirk here. We're in the graveyard. We are indeed, yes. The local church. And it was interesting just looking around at some of the stones there. Some quite ornamental, in fact. Oh, yes. Some are some very grand looking. Some local names like the Andersons and the, the Fairgreaves. The Fairgreaves, yes. And we were just yeah. looking at um, a very impressive pink marble mm-hmm. monument there to the Anderson family and nine of their children who... Died in infancy. Died in infancy, yes. But yes. if we look over to this corner here... Yes, literally just to the... Sort of just looking over to the left a little bit, there. yeah. yeah. Uh, and this area, where there are just a couple of very small uh, grave uh, headstones to a couple of young children, um, this area, which takes up about 10... 12% of the entire graveyard. Yeah. Would this have been the pauper's grave? This would be the pauper's corner, yes. And I see nothing in, 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 in memoriam of, of Eliza's two children, Isabella and Daniel. No, and I think that's really poignant because we know that Eliza's lying in an unmarked pauper's grave across in, in Fife yeah. and her two children are presumably here in this corner somewhere, but unmarked, um, which begs the question, Why? Why do they have no grave markers? And Where? Samuel hasn't taken yeah, the trouble or the, exactly. the, the money to... Now, if you think about it, previously Samuel was earning a wage yes. and that wage took care of him and Eliza yeah. and the two children and possibly even a contribution to baby Robert. We don't know. And even an operation up in Edinburgh at exactly. one point, which we talked about. And now he's still earning the same wage... But it's just him, so why has he not got the money to put up a little grave marker to his two children? And what about a community contribution? Yes. Now, that did happen um, where there was a tragedy. Often the local community would have a bit of a whip round or one of the ministers of the local churches, and we had plenty of religious ministers in, in Stow at the time, so yep. people could have had a bit of a whip round. Not anything fancy, not like this lovely pink granite over there for that the Andersons, but yeah, just... Yeah. A small, basic little stone to mark it, but there's nothing. Nothing. And it goes back to what we were saying about Samuel having disappeared and Eliza's gone and the children have gone as if it never happened. The Claftons were never here. Mm. And that, I think, is, is, is somewhat poignant as we look in that corner. You know, the sun's shining today and it looks very nice and very peaceful. And presumably that's where Daniel and Isabel are. Although, to be honest, we don't exactly know. No. Because, again, we don't know. It's not written down anywhere. We're, we're assuming it's here. And it would make sense for it to be here. But we don't know exactly. And, and perhaps to add insult to injury, um, there is a mound of sorts here at the moment, as we've just seen. Unfortunately, yes. What the heck is that? 
it appears to be some rubble that the local council have dumped in this corner because this corner is the convenient corner to dump rubble oh, in. Oh, you know, you know. Um, uh, and I know the graveyard isn't a working graveyard anymore, but uh-huh. the disrespect to the poor who die, and they died in their hundreds during the Victorian yeah, era, yeah. and they died unmarked. And I'm not having a go at the council workers, but yeah. you know, it's where are we going to dump our rubble? And that's the corner that's because the people don't know, corners, so people don't realise. Survives continues, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mary, good to be back in the the relative warmth. And time for me to reflect now that we've just come back from the graveyard. Um, I have lived with this story. As I mentioned earlier, I, I, I watched the TV drama, which reminded me so much of the events here. On a couple of evenings, I've had dreams about Eliza. So I've lived very much with this story. And I have a sense of frustration and disappointment about the way everything played out. So I think my question for you, before we we end this five-part series, is... What have we achieved, do you think, by spending so much time on this case? Well, we can't know for certain what happened on that March night in 1871, but we can't change the record. Rather than being the sensational murder of Stow newspaper headline, in reality, this is the story of Daniel, Isabella Mm. and Eliza. We hope this podcast has afforded them the respect they deserve and finally has given Eliza back her voice.